Well, Donald Trump is suing his former lawyer, Michael Cohen, seeking $500 million. Now, experts say that Trump will have a hard time in proving that Cohen damaged him to the tune of $500 million as, well, quite frankly, most of Trump's reputational damages have come from self-inflicted wounds. Yeah, when you're caught on audio tape saying that you should grab women by their nether region to get them to like you... I'm thinking that Cohen's comments really isn't hurting your image all that much. But also, Cohen turned on Trump in 2018. What took Trump so long to file this lawsuit? I mean, who knew that Trump's self-control would ever be a headline in any news cycle? Also in the news, Ron DeSanctimonious Meatball I don't even know what his current nickname is, is feuding with Disney. And I don't like this look for Ronald, but apparently Disney vocalized some opposition to Florida's parental rights sex education bill. Ronald did not like that, sought retribution by taking away Disney's special taxing district. Now, this district was created in the 1960s and quite frankly has worked out quite well for all parties involved. Well, Disney responded by taking away Ronald's fast pass privileges. So yeah, Ron, now you're gonna have to wait in line there at Disney and things are heating up and getting serious in Central Florida. Also in our wacky case segment, some local high school art students in Conway, New Hampshire, painted this mural depicting donuts as mountains on an horizon, and this was put up on top of a donut store. Now, city officials there in Conway is forcing the donut store to take this down, saying this mural isn't art. I don't know what they're talking about. When I see donuts depicted as mountains on a horizon, it brought me to tears. Yeah, this is a moving piece. I really got into this work of art. Well, Chris and I are going to unpack all of these stories and more in this week's debriefing of the law. Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I'm Chris Marone. And Chris, it is great having you back because your boy is into the news here. Donald oh, Trump man. has sued Michael Cohen for $500 million. And my response to that was, well, I think I channeled the famous Lizzo in saying, it's about damn time. I don't know how it's I can, a, I, In I a minute, see. I'm Anita. Exactly. Yeah. What took yeah. him so long? Because Michael Cohen, from the very beginning, what he, he recorded Donald Trump's converse, private conversations, aired mm -hmm. it on the evening news. I think that might be a sign it's time to get a new lawyer when you hear your private conversation you had with your lawyer airing on the six o'clock evening news. Uh, yeah, I mean, we had this thing called attorney-client confidentiality. Michael Cohen is out there doing press conferences, doing podcasts yep. about what his client told them. I don't yep. know, Chris. My thought here, before we get into the nitty-gritty of this lawsuit, this is a layup. This is a gimme, if there ever was a gimme of a lawsuit. What do you think? I, You know what? I think it's quite the opposite. I don't think it's a gimme at all. I think it's a, it's a stunt by Donald Trump, which it could still be a gimme and be a stunt. They're, the, two are not mutually, the, the two are not mutually exclusive. But, I mean... What do we got here? We got statute limitations. We've got latches. We've got like unclean hands. We got all sorts of defenses here 
that Cohen could throw out that might be able to 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 counteract this clearly stunt that Donald Trump is putting out. But I will give him this. I will absolutely do this. Donald Trump is amazing at getting free media. Not that much is Ab- free. He's absolutely a amazing at getting free media because since the Trump indictment, right, he hasn't really been in the news. Right. We've had the Fox defamation case. We've had, unfortunately, some tragic shootings happening around this country. We've had what's going on with Tennessee. We are having Elon Musk did a huge thing about AI on Fox News this week. Like he's not in the cycle. DeSantis, which we'll get to later, he's in the cycle for a couple things. So for Trump to file this $500 million lawsuit, which he probably is getting represented for for free because contingency based for $500 million, this is hundreds of millions of free advertising for him. Well, I agree with you on probably all different accounts of what you just said, except yeah. for the, the gimme thing. I think this actually is yeah. a layup, but I will agree with you that this is a layup and a stunt. Because my question is, why didn't he file this lawsuit a Years long ago. time ago? Because if you were to say, hey, you know what? I don't think Donald Trump is a very litigious person. I would have you committed. <laughs> He's a very litigious person. So what took him so long? Now, let me just back up here a little bit. We have a rule for you non-lawyers out there. It's the model Mm -hmm. rule of professional responsibility. And there's a rule 1.9. A lawyer is not allowed to use information that we learned during a course of a representation to our client's detriment. It is a... This is not even a tough call here. His former lawyer is trying to run him under the bus, run him over here shift the car in reverse, bus in reverse, run over him a second time, he absolutely is violating rule 1.9. I don't know how he came up with the $500 million mark. We could talk right. about that. I think your question was, you know, part of this is going to be, did Donald Trump, was his name defamed? Was his reputation mm-hmm. hurt? I, I'm not sure he no. actually could prove in court no, that, yeah, his reputation was hurt. Right. So, and, and what's the penalty for 1.9 violation? Right? It's disbarment. Well, no, it's also part of the contract. It'd be a breach of contract. That's part right. of your attorney-client contract. Right. So how much is Michael Cohen worth? How much is the contract worth? Right? So if it's breach of contract and Michael Cohen is worth, let's say he's worth $500 million. Okay, great. Let's sue him for $500 million for breach of contract. Michael Cohen is never going to practice law again a day in his life. Oh, he's it's disbarred. He's happen. done. Yeah, When he's you're done. a convicted yeah. perjurer, you're done. Yeah, you're done. Um, And so $500 million gets you what, Donald? It gets you to make... Michael Cohen like declare bankruptcy again. So what Michael Cohen did was he came out with a book called Disloyal, and it came out right there on the Great eve title. of the 2020 election. Uh, it it you know had some very bad things to say about Donald Trump. He also started a podcast called Mia Culpa. Again, he's saying very inflammatory things about Donald Trump. Maybe we right. should get Michael Cohen on this podcast. Ooh. There's an idea for us. Uh, hey Amy, let's see if we can't get Michael Cohen on a future podcast. Send to Instagram, slide into his DMs, see what Let's happens. Let's do it. Great idea. As the kids say. Let's talk about this lawsuit. But that being said, I think this is so. Why didn't Donald Trump file this lawsuit earlier? Well, Chris, right. I, I think this is a stunt. There's there's a reason why he Donald Trump has not filed this lawsuit earlier, and it's because. Mm-hmm. When you have a lawsuit, you'll have a discovery period and you will be allowed to take someone's mm-hmm. deposition. And if Donald Trump is filing this lawsuit, he yep. will get deposed. He does not Indeed. want to get deposed. I don't think this case will ever get to the discovery phase. Not I think, even a little bit. No. So I, I think there'll be a stalling tactic. So why was this lawsuit filed? Well, Chris, this is my take and then I'll get your response to this. Uh-huh. 
But Donald Trump is facing an, an indictment, a criminal indictment, and yeah. the issue is going to come up whether or not these things that Michael Cohen, who's their star witness, has said about him, and it's going to come up during that trial. Well, if my if Michael Cohen said these things that were false, why didn't you ever seek legal recourse against him? I mean, I have right. seen lawyers do that before. It's like, well, if this was so offensive to you, if this was a lie, why didn't you file a lawsuit in that matter? So this will allow Donald Trump to say, we did file a lawsuit. It was defamatory. We were pursuing our legal remedies. So it gives him that answer. But besides giving that answer in some case mm -hmm. involving his criminal matters, right. I don't think this ever sees the day of, of a deposition of room. I, and you know what? I think I'm in lockstep with that. Trump is, this is, again, it's a stunt. Um, but it is one that will allow him to be more forthright during his criminal trial because um, it also undermines the credibility of the testimony that Michael Cohen gives and allows for appeal later on, right? So let's say that he sues him for defamation, 1.9 rule comes into play. Um, that's fruit, right? That's dissipating the taint of the fruit of the poisonous tree. So anything that comes from that 1.9 violation, so for lay people, because he violated this rule of not using information to his client's detriment, the court can exclude his testimony because it's in clear violation of the attorney-client privilege, which is the highest privilege in the land. It is constitutionally withstand the test of time for criminal defendants or any sort of lawyer-client relationship because of the important nature of it. There you go. Therefore, I... by having this lawsuit, he can undermine the fact that Michael Cohen's testimony is all to be excluded because it's in violation of 1.9. Yes, I think this is some kind of move in that regard to impact that statement and some other proceeding. I do not think mm -hmm. this case will ever get to the deposition phase. Not even close. No, there's no need to call a court reporter no. here. Not needed. It's not going to get to the point where Donald Trump is going right. to be deposed by Michael Cohen's lawyer. Hey, if that ever happened, you know what? Michael Cohen Ooh. should fire his lawyer and just depose Donald Trump personally himself. Wouldn't that be a lot of fun? I would thoroughly, we would fly to Miami to have an on-site live podcast for that day when Michael Cohen deposes Donald Trump. Yeah, you know what? That would be a great idea. You could idea. live stream that on Patreon and pay all of this $500 million. We could probably cancel the national debt if we live streamed <laughs> the Michael Cohen asking Donald Trump questions. Yeah, I believe Donald Trump came up with an NFT of himself as a superhero. If he's willing to do that, maybe he'll do pay-per-view yeah. on this deposition. That does not seem to he'd be that to far cut. of a stretch. So, Yeah, he'd want a cut of the money, though. All right, so on this next case, again, this is a debriefing the law podcast. Chris, is what we do. We try to debrief yep. the law, what happened uh, recently in law. And this second matter probably should deserve Ooh. its own podcast. It, it's it's just... But I have a problem with this. This is my boy, Ron DeSantis, taking on my favorite place to be, Disney. I love Walt yeah. Disney World. I love Walt Disney. Chris, you probably know this by now because I think I told you. But just for the mm -hmm. listeners, do you know where Walt Disney came up with the idea of Mickey Mouse? Was it a Nebraska Cornhuskers game or was it a KU Jayhawks game? It was... It'd both be good answers. I'll give you credit for the at least attempt <laughs> in Kansas City. He was in yeah. Kansas City when he came up with the idea of Mickey Mouse. Well, yeah. so I don't like the fact that Ron DeSantis is is attacking Mickey and Minnie Mouse. But that being said, I think Ron DeSantis, and I think I've gone on the record on this podcast earlier saying mm -hmm. I plan to vote for him in the upcoming election. You do? I think yep. he should be the Republican nominee. 
Chris, I think he just shot himself in the foot. I do not know why. I do not understand why he is attacking Disney. I think this represents the worst uh, in in political discourse, in abuse of power, everything I've been attacking the Democrats for. I think Ron DeSantis has done that. So, Chris, I'm going to ask you to put on your conservative hat. Surely somewhere there in your closet you have a conservative hat? Oh, it's in the closet for sure. Talk me off of this ledge because I think Ron DeSantis just shot himself in the foot and he's now disqualified from being the Republican nominee in this upcoming election. But I don't know, maybe that's an overstretch, but let me make my case here and I hope you can talk me off of this ledge. Okay, so we all all heard of Ron DeSantis attacking Disney. Why is he attacking Disney? Well, let's go back to 1960. Well, first of all, Chris, have you been to Walt Disney World? No, I have not. Okay. I was supposed to go for my 40th birthday, and then, you know, COVID happened. Okay. Have you been to Orlando? Yes. Okay. What was your thought about Orlando? I I love our listeners in Orlando. I think they're amazing people that are wonderful to this podcast. Uh Uh-oh. I don't like like the city of Orlando. You know what? All right. Well, we can find... We are now taking applications for a new (laughs) co-host for this podcast. Look, I'm not look, I'm not a huge Florida person. Like I don't like Tampa. I don't like I don't like Miami. I don't like anything to do with Florida. I don't like the humidity. Um, I don't like the fact that I might get hit with a hurricane. Like I don't have a positive image of Florida. It's, it's a lovely like, city. It's a wonderful city. Cool. Right. I would much rather be in like San Francisco or Long Beach than I would rather be in Florida. But that's okay. my West Coast roots. So there you go. Uh, here's the thing you would notice about Orlando. It is it's young. I mean, it is very, very young because it okay. really didn't exist as we know it prior to about 1970, 1960. Yeah. It just boomed. Why? Because of Disney World. So in 1960, right. Walt Disney was trying to find a location to build his magic kingdom out there. And that is an amazing story of how he found this land. They, they purchased it under different names. No one would know what's going on because they were feel, fearful of what would happen. Well, right. Walt Disney, then he also passed away as this was going on. Uh, so his successor then had to finish the deal. But as a way to lure Walt Disney and Walt Disney World there to Central Florida, the Florida legislature created a special planning district that was yep. called the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Now, Chris, this is a standard thing for Very government so. to do. When you are trying to develop a certain area, you want to bring in something like Walt Disney World, yep. you're going to want to do them some favors. And so you, there, mm-hmm. it's, it's a standard thing in planning codes. You can create a special right. planning district to kind of accommodate this this new development and so they created the reedy creek improvement district and I, chris i am gonna just gonna say that if you're going to evaluate this what the florida legislature did in 1960 creating the reedy creek improvement district there in central florida it was a smashing success is, is that fair mm-hmm. to say yeah that was i mean i think it's been the model Look, in Arizona, we create special districts to bring in places like Amazon and TSMC and Boeing, right? We we do this to give them tax incentives, to bring them come here, because what they bring is much more valuable than the taxes we would get by just straight taxing their buildings or land. Yeah, and I, I think the stats show that Disney World has now paid over $1 oh my gosh. billion dollars yes. in taxes there in Florida. It is the largest single employer there in, the, in, in Central mm-hmm. Florida. It was right. a smashing Tourism. success. Yeah. And if you've ever been to Disney World, and you 
probably been to Disney theme park out there on the West Coast. I don't know. It, it's known for its its amazing infrastructure. Oh I mean, it's so well done. Yes, it is. I mean, I've been to Disneyland a multitude of times. I've done the behind the scenes Disney tour, the whole nine yards. My family have been on Disney cruises. Like Disney, like is a full immersion environment. They are incredibly like detail oriented to the point of almost like anal retentive, but they have an image that they want to keep. And that image uh, drives in many, many people. So one of the thoughts, commodity. So one of the thoughts you're getting, yeah, ahead, so the, these special planning districts would be responsible for, let's just say, infrastructure, roads, roads um, yeah. buildings, sidewalks, fire department, police department, building mm -hmm. codes as well. Now, do you right. think Disney World wants to be known for, oh, one of our buildings collapsed? Correct. That's no, just they, bad, they, bad times. They would not want that. They are, gonna, they are so insistent that everything be done immaculately, perfectly. They are insane about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's their reputation that's matter. They don't want strip clubs and red light districts out there. They're trying to protect their brand. Right. So this has been a smashing success for Disney and for Central Florida. So my point here is this ain't broke. So why are you gonna? There's no need to fix this. The Reedy Creek development was working well. It was a smashing success. One last thought here before I, I tell you the next thing here, is that wouldn't you think a conservative would like this kind of thing? We want to attract businesses. We want to allow, give business some free reign to do what business want to do. Mm -hmm. In this situation, I think this is a perfect example of a, a hill, a shining city on a hill, whatever metaphor you want to use, on how conservatism works. That being said, okay, so then we have in 2020, some things started not going well for Ron DeSantis. And so, first of all, mm -hmm. Disney enacted COVID-19 masking measures and later vaccine mandates, and Ron DeSantis really didn't like that. Whatever. Is what okay. it is. And then uh, Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature passed a, a, a Florida's Parental Rights and Education Act involving the teaching Ooh. of sex education, primarily to kindergarten students through third grade. That was kind of right. the whole thought there. Critics of this bill called it the don't say gay bill. Well, Ron DeSantis was not happy with that because it wasn't nope. about don't say gay. So that's your, that's your critics. People are allowed mm -hmm. to engage in free speech, but whatever. He said, no, yeah. this is about teaching sex education, allowing, giving it, allowing the parents to teach sex education, not having the schools trying to indoctrinate young kids on mm -hmm. sexual matters. And so my point here is that Ron DeSantis, well, Disney then became a vocal uh, opponent of this, yeah. the Sex Education Act. And so they started yep. doing some things, speaking out in opposition to it. And they were definitely propo uh, proposing this don't say gay bill, spreading that around. Uh, and so Ron DeSantis was not happy with Disney for his efforts to counteract his parental, uh, parental Sex Education Act. Mm -hmm. That being said, so are you following me so far, Chris? Oh, yes, I'm well aware. So Ron DeSantis is ticked off with Disney because of their speech attacking his his legislation mm -hmm. he decides to go after this special district that, that disney had with the reedy creek development chris this mm -hmm. is where i have the problem i don't see the connection between you between disney speaking out against the parental sex education law and the reedy creek development where's the connection how is this not retribution a punishment against disney for engaging in free speech that's the problem i have with what ron DeSantis did 
and that's the problem that all conservatives should have. It, it should actually be the problem that all people have. I love carrying my signs, protesting various things around um, Arizona. I love doing that. I love being able to come onto our podcast and give my full-throated opinion about what's going on. ASU is not going to have retribution against me because I say our football team sucks. Okay. That's not... It, it's true, and, and, but yes. Right. It's Well, I mean, truth and fact, right? It is what it is. Um, but Ron DeSantis, it just, it's such a political misstep. And I'm not trying, I mean, in my, in, in wearing the conservative hat, the, the, and in my head, my conservative hat is a giant 10 gallon cowboy hat, just so you know what I'm picturing right now. Um, it's the idea that Disney is a guest in Florida and that at any time their special tax privileges can be changed or revoked based on their performance and if they're not performing to what florida needs because desantis honestly believes that florida needs um a lack of discussion of sex education from kindergarten to third grade and that by disney saying that floridians need to talk about sex education for to their like five to nine-year-olds that that is counterproductive to the needs of right. Floridians and feeds a political agenda that Ron DeSantis does not want to gain steam in Florida. I don't understand the connection here. So Ron, is, just to be clear, Ron DeSantis wanted to punish Disney. So what it, Ron DeSantis, mm -hmm. what the Florida legislature did is they created this new taxing district. It was called the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District, and it was going to be run by five five-member board. So Ron DeSantis appointed five of his allies to this Weird. board and then Weird. it would be in charge of of these things we've been talking about with Disney infrastructure, building permits, basically running the, the city. And, and mm -hmm. so I guess it would be okay if let's just say Disney was doing a bad job and these, their buildings were unsafe and they were falling down. People were being hurt and injured. The roads mm -hmm. were not being built properly. I guess I would get it if it wasn't working. It was working perfectly. So why was Ron DeSantis doing it? Well, let's just go over a couple things that Ron DeSantis well, and I said. Have one, I have one quick question, though. Yes. Is there a school in Disneyland where <laughs> kindergartners through third graders go? You know, I do not know the answer to that. I do know that there are two cities there uh, within mm -hmm. this planning district, uh, and I don't know if they actually have schools there in those two uh, in, in those two districts. It's, it's that, a good question. That's and that's my main question, right? If if there are schools, I think it'd be a very clear reason that Disney can oppose that because there's schools within their district. All right, there and you they, go. And they have the direct right to oppose. But since they and I'm trying to be the conservative here, there's no schools in the district, therefore they don't have standing. It just, it doesn't, you know, I, I, I want to see a connection here between what, you know, what Ron DeSantis did, taking away the special mm -hmm. planning district, appointing his own new board with his allies mm -hmm. that's going to govern Disney, that, and, and somehow the fact that what Disney was doing was bad. When I say what Disney was doing, not their speech opposing his uh, don't mm -hmm. say gay bill, uh, but their running of the city from an infrastructure standpoint. Right. It, it was, was it not working? Was it bad policy? Let's go over some of the things that Ron DeSantis said in his press conference. Mm -hmm. And so he said that it was his intention to examine lands included within the Reedy Creek district for public use including the possibility of state parks, additional theme parks, 
or a state penitentiary. I love what? this. You're going to put a jail yes. there right next to yeah. Disney World? You think that's a good idea? I do. I I mean, switching out of my conservative hat, yes, please put a federal prison right next to Disney World and see how quickly you get elected to sheriff, let alone president of the United States. Oh, my gosh. All right. And uh, and so this this Central Florida Tourism Oversight Board is now staffed with members that have been handpicked by Ron DeSantis and now mm-hmm. will control how, or at least allegedly will control how Walt Disney World Resort functions, builds, and maintains its infrastructure. Okay, so <laughs> the Florida Commissioner of Agriculture, William Simpson, stated, this legislation will allow my department to conduct inspections when someone is seriously injured on an amusement ride. Thankfully, it doesn't happen that often in Florida, but when it does, we have the right to inspect and decide when it can safely reopen. Okay, has that been a problem? So I know they're saying it in their press release, but that hasn't been a problem. So this Mm -hmm. purely is retribution. This is punishment against Disney for speaking out against a bill that Ron DeSantis uh, liked. All right. But Chris, here is now a very interesting change in the development. So, so the Florida legislature passed this law, basically taking the Reedy Creek development out of the hands of this board, appointing a new board. Well, before they this law before this bill was signed, it became actual law. The Reedy Creek development did something pretty interesting because they, in a quiet move, so no one really knew about this, even though it was properly noticed. We can go right now yep. on the website and see how this this was noticed. It was done in full effect of the law. Yeah, but no one was paying attention. So in a very quiet move, the former Reedy Creek Development Board assigned its power back to Disney before leaving office. And it said, look, this is a binding declaration that doesn't really expire until England's monarchy dies out. What is that all about? Well, I'll tell you what that was all about. See, in law school, Chris, you know this, you work for a law mm-hmm. school, but for you non-lawyers that are listening, there is this thing in law school that causes nightmares by lawyers <laughs> it's called the rule against perpetuities i would like to explain it i have no idea what it is it's something about how when you're going to do some involve some kind of transfer or conveyance involving land it must happen within a life and being plus 21 years and i can you nailed it okay i you, said it i don't the, know what it means though all right i have Ari- no idea the, the arizona bar exam in july of 2022 had two count them two rule against perpetuities questions wow okay. so we're still testing on it out here and you nailed it joel <laughs> so- essentially like essentially what this what the reedy creek board said is that disney will have control of this area until the youngest alive grandchild of king charles the third dies Plus 21 years after their death. There you go. So the youngest grandchild right now is, I believe, 18 months old. It's um, Meghan Markle and um, Harry's kid. Um, the daughter that's 18 months. So we have her lifespan, which could be anywhere from, you know, God forbid, 10 years up to 90 years plus an additional 21 years. So all of us hopefully will be dead before this happens. 
There you go. So, so the in the Disney, in a very quiet move, the Disney board said, or the this Reedy Creek Development Board said, look, we're giving mm -hmm. this power back to Disney. It's going to last now, and it's it's mm -hmm. with the land. It's going to last for life and being plus twenty one years, according to mm -hmm. King Charles the Third's family line. And so, um, now now Ron DeSantis, it's his move. Well, what he then right. did is he said, you know what, Disney, you're not going to do this to me. We see what you're doing. I'm going to make a power move. And so the Florida legislature passed another law trying to undo this contract that was done by the Reedy Creek development. Right. A lot of back and forth here between Ron DeSantis and Disney. So, Chris, that's what's going on here. Let's right. now talk about this. I don't understand what Ron DeSantis is doing. This might be the end of Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. It just seems to me this is bully, right? I mean, Ron right. DeSantis is, is basically saying, look, because you spoke out against me, I am now going to punish you. I'm going to use my political power to punish you on some unrelated matter. Right. How is this not bully in the worst form by Ron DeSantis? I believe you used the wrong word there, Joel. It's not bullying. It's fascism. That's what it is. You you like business, when you can stand up and business will back you, you don't like business when business... And look, dude, you took on the mouse. Right. Right? There, there are some unwritten rules here in America. There are very clear unwritten rules. You don't mess with Disney. Right? Disney's going to... Disney employs a metric ton of gay people. A and, lot. And people. Oh, 77,000 pe people are employed by right. Disney. Disney World. Do you, do you think that they... They're not going to serve their constituency of people. Disney, like, they have every right to say, Ron DeSantis, you're being an idiot. And all Ron DeSantis does say, keep the mouse stuff to the mouse and keep the government stuff to the government. And we're done. And thank them for their input. Right? That's all you have to do. Yeah, but no. it on Fight on policy grounds. Hey, you spoke out against my policy. I'm not going right. to respond to your argument by saying you mischaracterize it. This is why we think parents should have control over sex right. education, especially between the you know kindergarten to third grade time frame. Uh, so we want to give that right. Just argue that point based upon nope. the merits of that point. Why do you guys say, oh, no, because you're speaking out against me. We're going to strip away this other right that you have. I, I, I think this is the end of Ron DeSantis. I mean, maybe not. because we've... Right. If he could have argued the policy points, he would have. Well, but he, I don't. He can. The, he has great policy points. Why is he not just no. screaming those? Why is he going after Disney? Because Disney is a bigger fish than Ron DeSantis. And Disney could swing voters in... in Disney 100% could swing voters in Florida and across this great nation because all of us, blues and reds, love Disneyland. You know what, though? You are, I think you just you, you, you tapped into something that I think is actually good. Now, again, this is rare from a liberal, <laughs> but it does happen occasionally, hey, right? A lot. It happens a lot. All right. And you said that at Disney. It has influence all across the United States. And so Ron DeSantis, mm -hmm. dare I say, he's not serving the constituency of Floridians by doing this. He is basically no. saying, hey, the rest of the nation here, 
we're going to paint this picture that Disney has gone off its rocker. It's somehow it or loves try. certain things that run against the morals and values of mainstream Americans, at least the heartland. And I am going to be the person fighting that. So he's trying to create this national mm-hmm. narrative that Ron DeSantis is fighting for lack of better term, corporate wokeness. And that's what he wants that, that national image because he believes that's going to serve his campaign slogans but, and, and um, his presidential campaign. But let's, let's do this. Like, let's run the numbers by this, right? Let's say that is his policy and that's the way that he's going to go. How many electoral votes does he lose in Florida or other states that love Disney? Arizona loves Disney. We all drive over to Disneyland all the time. Versus how many states does he pick up by attacking Disney? He's already getting the Midwest, right? It's not like that's turning blue anytime soon. Right. He's already going to get the South and the Bible Belt. That's not turning blue. Is he going to influence voters in Georgia with this type of rhetoric? I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's a net loss and is I, what I, it is. And when you look beyond the, the headlines, and I do think this is him trying to grab headlines about mm-hmm. fighting corporate wokeism. I think that this kind of bullying represents the worst. And I was on record Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago with our Trump indictment podcast, how upset I was with the DA Bragg going against Donald Trump, his political enemy using the full force of the law. How is this not the exact same thing by Ron DeSantis? If I thought what DA Bragg did was despicable, Mm -hmm. and I do, because again, there's absolutely zero merit to what he is doing. And that's, that's not my opinion. It's actually fact. And I'll back that up with anyone. I feel stronger about that today. If I'm upset with Bragg, I kind of be upset with Ron DeSantis. This is horrible. This is using his authority position, the, the authority that he has mm-hmm. as governor, to attack his political enemy for some other reason. And Chris, I don't like it. Well, I'm, I'm glad you don't like it because, I mean, this is what, this is what a... DeSantis presidency would look like, right? He would get angry at the Democrats for not passing his budget, so he would try to use executive order to redistrict and gerrymander the districts to allow for only Republicans to get elected. Or he would not like the fact that Georgia turned blue, so he's going to, you know, he's going to fire the Secretary of State, fire the governor, and bring in the National Guard to recount the votes his way. Nah, like, I this d- is... This is what Ron. This is a Ron DeSantis president. This is a small one percent preview of the type of person that Ron DeSantis is. This reminds me of another thing that took place. Ended up the United States Supreme Court, I believe. It was a couple of years ago, where then governor of New Jersey, his name escapes me right now, but I'm pretty sure you will remember by the time we get done talking about this. But Chris Christie. Yes, Chris Christie, their governor of New Jersey. There was some issue with his political opponents and a certain... Oh, the turnpike. Right. And he decided we're going to bottleneck this turnpike just to hurt our political enemies. And there was a lawsuit about that. I just don't like that. That's why I hate politics. I hate it when people use their power to punish their political opponents. It just Mm -hmm. reeks. And I think the average American cannot stand it. And that's why I wish I could come up with a third party, but I I, I don't know how to do that. And so, right. uh, again, thank you, Chris. You have not talked me off of the ledge, uh, but <laughs> here is the problem. If I can give you my final take on this, the problem yeah. with loss with um, elections is, yeah, Ron DeSantis, is, this is a muddy, uh, this is dirt on him. This is bad, but you are electing candidates. So is he any worse than the 
person on the other side? Probably not. The, the good people of America, we're sitting at home doing podcasts. We're not actually running for office. We don't want to be involved with office. That's my cynical take on it. I don't know. So it is a, a vote for a person. might not be a vote for that person. It might be a vote against the other person. I don't know how that cuts, but that's my take on, on that story. I mean, you're right, right? A lot of people voted against Donald Trump, and that's how we got Joe Biden. There you go. Um, All right. Yeah. But now let's move on to our next segment here. This is going to be an update on the Lori Vallow um, uh, Daybell case. And so oh we were talking about this before, and we're, we're very curious about what we are going to do here because, Chris, we have re found through our own research there is a national love affair with yep. a, a true crime podcast, right? They, they, they love mm -hmm. to follow them. There's, there's a fascination right. about true crimes, the trials, how they go on. It's almost like a sports announcer announcing the, you know, what went on in the, the, the game today. Well, yeah, you know, there's a certain fascination about, Hey, there's a murder trial. What's going on? So I think it's fair to say, we are going to try to tap into that. We even talked about if yeah. we have a lot of fun doing this and if it's well-received, then we might try to do this as a spinoff on an entirely different podcast. But let's see where we go. Now, we started talking last week about the Lori Vallow Daybell murder trial because she, you, you have some familiarity, and I think you're yeah. both from the same hometown. Is that correct? Yeah. We Well, this isn't my hometown. Just pointing that out. I'm California born and bred. But we are from the same town. Yeah, she's okay. Gilbert. She's Gilbert, and that's where I live now. So let me just give you a quick summary of what took place, and then we're going to give you a quick rundown of the first week of trial just to kind of see if we if we can get a little bit of traction and interest mm -hmm. on doing these kind of trial updates. So Lori Vallow was married to her, or her and her fifth husband are on trial for murder. So right there, yeah, she is a there we serial go. What do you call them? Yep. Serial polygamists there? Multiple spouses just one after the other? Polygamist means many partners at the same time. She's a serial, I don't know, serial marriage, serial <laughs> wife. There you go. All right. Serial uh, wife, yeah. And so they met because she was a guest on his podcast. Well, her two sons, she had a, a, um, uh, a seven-year-old child named Ty Lee and a 17-year-old, no, seven-year-old child oh, named JJ, JJ and a 17-year-old child named Ty Lee. They went missing. Uh, and uh -huh. so she did not know where they were for several months. Well, I mean, she kind of knew where they were, but they, the authorities didn't know where they were. And then they showed up dead on Chad Daybell's uh, property. That was her mm -hmm. then fifth husband. Also, Chad Daybell's prior wife's death was somewhat of a mystery. Uh, mm -hmm. She died in her sleep in the middle of the night. And so also, so the, those three deaths, of her two children, uh, JJ and Ty Lee, mm -hmm. and then the death of Tammy, there was a murder trial uh, for her and for Chad over those three deaths. That that was the crime. Yep. Now let's kind of go over what took place this last week. Let's give a little bit of an Ooh. update. So there was two things that happened. Good stuff. One, there was opening statements that were made by both mm -hmm. sides, and then there was some witnesses. Let's just go over really quickly here basically what the prosecution's case is all about. The prosecution's case is that this um uh, uh so first this is only a trial against Lori. Lori. So Chad's yeah. trial has been postponed. And so during the opening statement, what the, the lead prosecutor said was 
is that the defense will remove any obstacle in her way to get what she wants, and she wanted Chad Daybell. And then he told the jury that, that Lori used money, power, and sex to get what she wanted. It didn't matter what it was. So the thought, the thought there was that she was caught up in this religious cult by yep. uh, her husband, Chad. They were end times kind of um, people. They mm-hmm. believe in kind of really some really crazy radical stuff. And we'll get into it just a bit here. Um, and so she would do whatever to be with him. And that even included murdering um, her kids. Several people. Murdering several people to be with him. Yes. There, there were a lot of dead bodies in this case. There's a lot of bodies falling around these two people. So here's the problem with the prosecution's case, and this really then becomes the theory of the defense's opening statement, which is this. The defense said uh, that, look, the prosecution has to prove Lori's guilt by a re- beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, did she kill, or did she assist, or did she encourage, or did she command? The prosecutors aren't sure what happened, but they right. want you to be sure. So in other words, they're kind of like the goalie. They're, they're basically taking the prosecution's case and saying, you know what, you, you don't have any evidence. You don't even know what happened. All you know is that while the kids were missing, the mother, Lori Daybell, didn't know where the kids were. It sure right. sounded like she knew what happened to them. Right. But and then Neglect the kids, at best. Right. They, they, but then the kids showed up dead at her husband's property. So... Again, we, but did she command it? Did she assist in it? What did right. she do? Or did she just know it was going on? They don't really have any evidence. So that was the, what do you think about the, the, the defense? So I think, I mean, they're, they're a smart team, right? You don't show your hand. All you do is poke holes at the prosecution. So I think the defense is winning early on. I do think, and we get into the testimony of Melanie Gibb in a minute. But I think that early on, the defense is taking the right position of we're not tipping anything. We're just going to sit here and you take shots at us. We'll block. I love the goalie analogy. Um, but you're not going to see our offense until the second half. Okay. Kind of like a Chiefs football game. Really? <laughs> That's where it's at. There you go. I'm not even sure the defense will have much a of a defense. For an so offense. In the OJ Simpson trial, Alan Dershowitz was saying, look, we're not going to let OJ take the stand basically because if, if the defense takes the stand, all the jury cares about is what did that defendant say? Do I think that defendant did it? Do I believe Mm -hmm. him or her? That then becomes a central focus of the jury. So if you don't have the defendant take the stand, then the entire case becomes about, well, you're gonna put the police on trial here. What do right. what do they have? How strong is their case? Are there holes in their case? Do they really yes. prove it beyond a reasonable doubt? So you just basically force the cops or the prosecution to prove their case, and then you have that higher standard. So again, that is the it's interesting position there by the defense. Mm-hmm. What was the prosecution's theory after their opening statement? Basically, they wanted to paint her as a religious fanatic. They wanted to paint her as a horrible mother who either couldn't or wouldn't tell the authorities where her kids were. Uh, they wanted to say that she was uh, conniving uh, during this whole yep. time period, that she she mm-hmm. was a religious fanatic, believed in zombies, believed that her kids might have been zombies. Yep. So she was crazy. And they're going to say that the fact that she didn't do anything about her kids being missing for so long that's just not how a normal mother, loving mother would work. 
Chris, just based upon the opening statement from the prosecution, basically saying she's a bad person because she didn't know what happened to her kids and she's not being forthcoming. Mm -hmm. Therefore, she must be guilty. Do you think that that's going to work? I think it sets a stage. I don't think that on opening statements alone, I don't think that they're they're going to condemn her to to life in prison, but it sets the stage, right? It's going to count. It's going to we're going to build from here. The prosecution believes we're going to we're going to set this foundation of Lori is she's not crazy. She's reckless. She's negligent. She's intentional, not crazy. So I think they did a, a job. I don't know if it's a good job. They did a job. Right. of setting up that she's not crazy, she's not certifiably insane, but she's callous and she's yeah. calculating. I can say after opening statements, I was worried for the defense here. Again, I am not a juror, never sat right. on a jury. I would love to sit on a jury. We all would. But juries are made up of our peers, right? At least those uh, of us that are allegedly. Right, allegedly. At least those two who are not too stupid to get off jury duty. Uh, but nonetheless, they... They're a jury of our peers. And so there's going to be mothers and, and fathers on sitting on these juries. And mm -hmm. it's just going to be an awful hard sell when you have someone sitting in front of the jury saying, yes, I thought my kids were zombies. Yes, I thought that zombies should be killed. And yes, I lied about where they were for, you know, what, a couple of months there. Months. And she was seen to be acting in cohort with her spouse. It just seems like she knew an awful lot. She knew what was she going does. on, and and I'm gonna say that has to be punished. I just, I have a hard time saying you're an innocent person when we know all of these facts. We know you're a part mm -hmm. of it, and you didn't somehow try to get help for your kids in that situation. I just don't think that's a sympathetic mm -hmm. defendant at all. I thought my theory was after opening statements. The defense has to turn on Chad. Again, the, 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 these trials I mean, have been separated. That's the smartest thing to do. Yeah, that's the smartest thing to do, anyways. Right? Yeah. He's not there. Right? Every every good trial is. It's not me. It's this person over here. It's the one armed man. I think that's it's their the only one armed man here. defense. Yeah, that's their only play is the turn. Right. for the defense to turn on Chad. All right. So what happened here after opening statements Ooh. during this first week? Well, we had uh, basically the testimony of Lori Vallow's ex-best friend melanie gibbs let's talk how do you get that title how how do how do i get title of former best friend is it after you murder your children or join the doomsday cult or forsake everything that you ever like where where's the line where i, I think it's murdering your kids i think joining okay. the doomsday cult would not be a, uh, enough okay. to get you cut off of being my best friend uh because Good i would know. think you probably need help because you know, i'm right. gonna be there to help you in your craziness but yeah, if you're going to kill your kids, and I'm thinking that's where I'm going to draw the line. I don't it's know. a good line. It's a good line. I'm glad we have that. All right. So here's a court, here's some highlights from uh, her testimony. Again, her name is Melanie Gibb, and she was Lori Vallow's former longtime best friend. Well, she testified that Lori said that Chad told her that they had been married in another time period, and she believed it. She already believed in multiple lives. So right there, right. she's thinking that. Five. They've been married five different times and five different lives. Interesting. Yeah. Very, very good times. Very it, it, not crazy at all. 
No, no. So basically, you're setting out the belief that Lori is the um, a crazy religious fanatic. And so the yep. court appears, the, the couple appears to have started as Mormons, but their religious beliefs soon took a, a darker turn. To give you an example of some of these darker turns, darker thoughts, they believed in this idea of distinct spirits. And they gave these distinct spirits names like Ned, Garrett, and Hiplos. And that these spirits inhabited human bodies and they operate between the spiritual and the temporal worlds. And so, again, this is mm -hmm. the best friend saying this is the belief of, of, um, of Lori Dablo. Yep. And so sometimes these spirits would need pushing to get out of your body, according to Gibbs' testimony. And so the two friends with some other women would take part in what was called castings. Now, what are castings? Well, these were... You know, when you got together and you tried to cast out these Exorcisms. spirits. Oh, there you go. Exorcism. Exorcism. Another, another way to say it. And, and so you try to cast out these spirits. Now, according to you know, Gibbs' testimony, some of these spirits were darker than other ones, yeah. more, more sinister, and they were a little bit harder to, to get out. And if, they, if you could not cast out these spirits then the possessed person would then become a zombie and uh gib told the jurors that she learned that over time that if a person had been possessed by a dark spirit and zombies then maybe those people need to be uh dealt with so that was Killed, her exterminated yes, unalive exactly so according to gib valo told her that both charles who was Lori's. Uh, fourth husband, the whole husband immediately yep. prior to um, uh, Chad, uh, both Charles and Tammy were going to die. Additionally, the witnesses said that Daybell and Valo, um, uh, that he always knew his wife was going to die young. All right, Chris. Well, he is a prophet of God, so he has the ability of foresight. And so therefore, he knows when we're all going to die. There you go. So, I mean, it makes you, sense to me. What do you think about this testimony? I, I think it's very damning testimony against mm -hmm. Lori because it shows motive. It shows that she was a religious fanatic. Mm -hmm. She believed her kids were dark and were zombies. But Chris, go with me out here. She did. She didn't kill other zombies. So why mm -hmm. would she kill her own kids? So I'm. I think this is damning testimony. But it still doesn't mean that she would kill her own kids. What are your thoughts? It, so, full disclosure that I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, commonly known as Mormons. So I've paid close attention to what's going on, and it always bothers me whether it's Latter-day Saint um, theology or Catholic theology or anything like that, when you use your religion to justify the murder of other people. It, it is always very hard as my wife and my wife listened to the podcast, to the actual testimony. She was listening to it on core TV and she was relaying it back to me. It bothers me when people so pervert scriptures that we hold dear to justify why they were willing to do the acts that led up to the death of these children. And so listening to Melanie Gibb, and listening to what Lori had had convinced or had conveyed over to her, it, it it's very troubling. Okay, because, but it's troubling because it's crazy and it's just way right. out there. But she didn't say that she would murder her kids. Right. 
Isn't that a whole way, different stretch? When you're following the line of thinking that Gibb presented to the courts, the natural cause of that would be to kill your children. If you followed this line, and I think that's what the prosecution was trying to get across. If you're following this line of thinking, the end of the road, the last station, the last bus stop is that you murder these horrible spirits that have inhabited your loved ones or friends. So, now, yeah. go on. It's not a it's not a legal theory, right? Right. It's not it's not a legal theory. It doesn't show proof that Lori got off at this last station. She could still be sitting on the train waiting for someone else to get off at the station. Yes. Right. And I, I think that's problematic because that train is being driven by Chad, and he is the right. one Chad's directing the one it. Yeah. And if if she's just along with it. It's going to be very think, hard to say you are think, the one to kill. But I also think this witness did a really great job of establishing the fact that Lori and Chad had a relationship before the supposed timeline. There you go. Right? Because we have the kids disappearing, we have Chad's wife dying, and then we have Lori and Chad getting married in sequential dates. Now, the friend here, Melanie, is testifying that Chad and Lori have been engaged in a long-standing sexual relationship before yes. Lori's husband died, before the kids went disappeared, and before Tammy died. So now I think this is this is a foundational piece that's shaking up this idea that yes, all these bodies are dropping around Lori and and Chad individually, but they're not together. No, Melanie is saying that these bodies are dropping together with Lori and Chad because Lori and Chad are engaged in their sixth mortal marriage. Okay. Good point. All right. Also, we're talking about Gibbs' testimony here. She also right. said that Lori talked to her over the phone. And by the way, this was recorded. They played the audio tape yeah, for she the record. You're um, not my best friend if you record our phone calls and give them to the police right that, now. You heard it here first. All right. There you go. Uh, where yeah, That's another qualifier for becoming an ex-best yeah. friend. Uh, where Lori basically asked uh, Gibbs to lie, and so with the actual yes. uh, statement, take pictures, which was, oh, yeah, right, which was actually recorded and played for the jury was I. And this is again Lori talking, saying I just need to, um, uh, and this is unintelligible, but I just need to have somebody say that I, so that I wouldn't have to tell where he really was because they were going to tell right. Kay where he is. And so in another one that Gibb told Valo, I was wondering why you told the police that he was with me. Okay, so there is testimony. They played this tape for the, the jury where mm -hmm. where Gibb was asked to lie by Lori to the cops. And I have a problem with this uh, because, mm -hmm. again, this is, this is now uh, testimony saying we want you to lie for me. So whenever you're asking someone to lie, that doesn't look good. So, again, I think this is very damning for... Uh, for Lori's case yeah. here, because it does not look good when you're asking people to lie. Right. And you got to the, like, look, my friends can ask me for some pretty shady things. I, I, I mean, I'm my friend's attorney. So, you know, some things can get brought up. But if I get to the point where I start recording the conversations because they're very weird between me and my friends to protect myself, as Gibbs said she did, that's a whole new level of issue. Right. If you if you are preparing yourself because you know you're going to be deposed or called as a witness one day, like let's go. Gib isn't a lawyer, but she had the wherewithal to know that 
maybe she should have some of this on tape, especially when the the what what Valos and or what Lori and Chad were asking her to do was to take pictures of kids running around the neighborhood and say, "Hey, JJ's in that group of kids right there." Sorry, I can't get a good picture of him because they're just running around and they're being kids, and then tell that to the police. Like right. that's that's accomplice liability. Yes. Right? That that I mean that's obstruction of justice at least, right? Lying to the police is a crime. Accomplice liability means you can be charged with the first degree murder like everyone else is. Like Gibb is being smart at this point to be like, I need to cover my own butt because Lori's asking me to get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this. So again, you you point out how at first um, Gibb did lie to the authorities about the, these kids. And so that's when she realized, yeah. well, hold on a second here. Now that I'm being drugged into this, they might bring yeah. in as accomplice. So to a certain extent, her testimony will be seen as self-serving. There's been some kind of Indeed. deal offered because if she had not changed her story, now she's going to be in a, a liable as an accomplice. And so, but all that she really did again was paint Lori as being Somehow involved in, in the cover-up here, where it's like, hey, look, she, um, uh, af after the fact, is like, I don't know where the bodies are, so they're they're lying to the authorities. Is that going to be enough at the end of the day to hold Lori liable for first-degree murder? The fact that she knew what her husband did? I guess that she's actively concealing it. You're saying that might be enough for the prosecution to score a murder conviction? against Lori is that she, because she was involved Maybe. in concealing it well I mean we're only seeing the start of the testimony right like right now we're in the skeleton frame of what the prosecution case is so this alone can this convictor probably not but this being added in with all the stuff that they are going to bring elsewise I have to assume I haven't read the file nor am I prosecuting this case but veteran prosecutors are going to bring more than just Melanie Gibb, and then go, we rest our case, Your Honor. All right. So some other quick highlights from what took place during the first week. Uh, again, we had Gibb's testimony uh, yeah. about, um, and Lori asked me to lie. We also had a text message between uh, Lori and Chad about the life insurance mm -hmm. proceeds from the death of her, her fourth husband. I don't think that's that big of a deal. You're going to be concerned about your life insurance proceeds. Uh, yep. But it does show that she's not really a very sympathetic person she didn't really nope. mourn the death of her fourth husband but again they were already estranged well, number four yeah I'm, I'm not sure there's much to that um yeah. lori did tell uh, her brother's uh, wife that her son will have a short life that's problematic if you interpret that as saying look he's probably not going to live too long um that might be thought look we're going to take care of him because he is a zombie mm -hmm. and we don't want zombies to be alive so i think that might be a problem as well so that being said there was there wasn't a lot that went on during this first week of trial i think the prosecution if they're trying to make the case that Lori is crazy she belonged to this crazy cult and, yeah. and she would do whatever she could to make sure she was with her guy chad even if it meant being complicit with the murder, I, I think if that's their theory, I think they had a really good first week because I am I am trekking right along with their theory of the case that she, had, if, if nothing else, was involved in the cover-up, which to the jury is going to say, then you were also involved in the plan. Even though we can't prove yeah. who pulled the gun, we don't have to or, or you know did the actual murder. 
yeah. you were involved. And so that that's all that we need. No, I'm 100% there with you. I think that um, this is a good start to the trial. So I'm going to be interested to see how it folds out. There you go. All right. Well, we will keep following this trial as mm-hmm. there are updates on a weekly basis. All right. Chris, we started this wacky case segment. And so what is the wacky case for this week? Well, it's out of Conway, New Hampshire. And they're up on your screen. If you're watching the YouTube version, you can see the picture of it. Uh, If you are listening to the podcast, well, we'll try to put a link there in our show notes to this picture. But just so I can describe it, this is a picture of a donut store in Conway, New Hampshire. And it's a it's an incredible picture. It's a very small donut store, and they have this this mural on top of the building where the local high school art class, a couple of students from that class with direction awesome. from the art teacher, Love painted this. that mural on top of this donut store. And Chris, the issue is, is that picture of donuts there? Which it looks like it's a it's a horizon. Like I just came from yeah. Colorado, and I you can see the sun rising up behind a mountain range but these aren't mountains these are donuts mm-hmm. you know where the mountains would be yeah it looks like an amazing horizon to me i wish we had some right. horizons made up of donuts but uh the so the issue is is that art or is that a commercial sign because here's what happened the city of conway new hampshire has told this donut owner, you're in violation of our sign ordinance. You need to take this sign down because it's too big and it violates our sign ordinance. Well, he didn't want to do that. So he filed a First Amendment lawsuit yeah. saying, look, you're forcing me to take down this sign. It violates my First Amendment rights. Well, according to the city zoning board, he said, look, the issue is, is it art? We don't think it is art. Because you're a donut store and there's donuts on this sign. So, Chris, what say you? Do you think this is art or do you think this is a commercial sign? I think these people need to get a life. That's what I first think, like right off the bat. Do I think it's art? Yeah, I think it's art. I think it's an artist's rendition of donuts on a donut shop. Is it a commercial sign? It is also a commercial sign. It is advertising that it is a donut shop. A local high school kid did it. Right, homeboy who owns the donut shop didn't bring in signs for less and have signs for less come in and paint this sign up there. He let the local art class do it. And what what do you want him to do? Do you want him to paint it over? Do like do you want to preserve it as a art installation for the local high school? Do you want do you want the antiquities commission to come in and give it a national monument sticker? Like guys and looking for those that are not watching it it is a refurbished house that is turned into a donut shop like this isn't like a historical district it isn't like downtown los angeles it's a mom and pop donut shop like this is an hoa's like like wet dream right now that they they want this law passed so that way they can start doing things I, i it's it hurts my heart that they would try to take down these high school kids art project because they don't like the fact that it looks like a donut shop sign. I don't get this lawsuit either. I mean, I, I, yeah. this controversy, because it, it seems like everyone on the city council 
wants the sign to remain. They were just right. taking the position of our hands are tied because we're afraid if we allow for you to have this sign, then everyone can have some kind of monstrosity on their you know uh, place of business. We have to allow for everyone to have these huge signs so we can't set the precedent. I don't know. I mean, if, if everyone wants I mean, the sign to be up. Right, and you can also set the precedent that you're allowed to decorate your building by hand-painted whatever. Because I got to assume they don't want to have like giant neon signs or something to that. Like, right. And we were reading the law earlier. If they would have painted just a random mural, if there wasn't donuts on it, right? If it was actual mountains, the city couldn't say anything. That's what they said. The city planners right. said, look, we so will like, we'll concede that if it were just art, we would have to allow it. Like a mural on the side of your building, which I'm not sure that's a correct, you know, summary of the law. I think you could say, no, you, right. you also could regulate that. But that, it's their zoning code. That's what they say. And that's how they enforce it. So, you know, what if it was like, what? Well, what's the, what? I can't think of the picture where the guys are reaching out and they're passing an apple between them. What if they changed that to a donut and put that on there? Would that be art or would that be uh, a sign, right? It's not saying like, you know, here it would be a Bosa Donuts. It, it, it's not a Dunkin' Donuts sign that's neon and corporate and all that, it's literally high school kids painting a building to make it look so it's not so dreary and white and gross. I just got to say, it's one great sign. I do think it is very know, artistic, lovely. and I think that they should find some way to allow this sign to remain. All right, that being said, Chris, enough about the law. It is time it. for courtroom quarterback. Killing it. All right, so Chris, we have a couple things to talk about in the world of sports, and I do know this is the part of the segment where it's just you and I just shooting the breeze here. And so I got to tell you, I, I, I am all very up in arms, very concerned about my Golden State Warriors. Now, you're from <laughs> San Fran as well, so you're a Golden State fan. Is that, is that correct? That is absolutely true. So what happened here was our boy Draymond Green in the basketball game. So they are playing in a series against the Sacramento Kings. And right. what happened, so uh, Golden State is down one game to none. Golden State is the defending mm -hmm. champion, but they've been in a yep. world of hurt all year. They're down one game to zero against the Sacramento Kings. This is in the fourth quarter, uh, about seven minutes to go. And, and Sabonis... Uh, for the sack, he's one of the best players for the yep. Sacramento Kings. Yes, he he grabs, he's on the ground and he grabs a Draymond Green's foot. Now, why does he grab his foot? I, I think it was a dirty play. It was, I'm grabbing his foot because I know Draymond Green is a hothead. I, we know he's yes. out of control. So if we right. try to antagonize him, it's likely he's going to just go off the rails because. Well, that's what Draymond Green do. He goes off of the rails. And, and sure enough, yeah. he then took his foot and tried to stomp it on Sabonis' chest. Right. So, that being said, Draymond Green is the heart and soul of the Golden State Warriors. And, and if you lost to Draymond Green, you're losing an awful lot of soul to your team. Well, the officials then reviewed this and they kicked Draymond Green out of that game. Now, in this mm -hmm. moment of the game, Golden State was making their comeback and right. then it just went off from there. They did not they, they lost their heart and soul. So they, and they lost the game but they now did. down it went off the rails. 
So then the league uh, reviewed this, and they said, look, Draymond Green has a history of this kind of thing, and so we are going to suspend him for one game. So now Zach, or Golden State is down two games to zero, and they've mm-hmm. lost their heart and soul for the third game. Yep. Chris, what's your take on this? It's going to give them drive. They're going to be pissed. They're going to think that it was crap, and they're going to come back, and they're just going to murder. They're going to just straight trounce the Kings. Absolutely. Right. And they're com- I mean, they're coming back to the Bay. Is that Chris the analyst or Chris the Homer uh, who is saying that? First off, Homer, how dare you when you come to the Golden State Warriors call me a Homer? I really, I honestly believe that the Kings, though this is their, their, their well, they're a good team right now. Um, they don't have the playoff acumen. They don't understand how seven-game series are played. They haven't been to the playoffs in almost 18 years. I think this is their first appearance in 18 right. years. Right? The Kings understand how to shake off games, whereas the Kings may be going into this game feeling a little proud that they got Draymond kicked out. The, the Warriors understand how series are played. And I think that the Warriors' experience – Playoff experience is going to shine through, and given that Draymond has been has been ejected for one game, or suspended for one game, I think that they're going to be able to play through, knowing that there is going to be a game four, five, and six. Here's what you're going to have to have: you are going to have to have Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson yep. step yep. up. I mean, obviously Curry has to be Curry, but Clay right. Thompson has been somewhat silent, and. M- my boy Andrew Wiggins. Why do I say that? Because he's from KU. I, I'm a huge mm-hmm. Andrew Wiggins fan. He has played abysmal these first two games. Now I say abysmal yeah. because I hold him he's to a higher back, standard. He he's coming been, back from an injury. Yeah, he was out the last half of the year for family right. reasons. Uh, there right. And and so we don't really know why he was gone for the couple of months, but he was. That's true. You just can't get thrown right back into your team and just hit the ground running. He, he yeah, stumbled out of the gate. And he's, his timing on his offensive rebounds have been off. I've seen it where the ball just he, – he's jumping at the wrong time. He's not in the right spots. Mm-hmm. He's been missing wide-open jumpers, critical jumpers, where last year he hit those. So I'm hoping now by game three, Andrew Wiggins will have figured it out. He'll be back to his full so strength. And Golden State needs him to step up in a big way here to, to slow down Zabonis and then also to provide some critical scoring. And Clay Thompson needs to be Clay Thompson. He needs to have one right. of those games where he is lights out. If they can do that, somehow find a way to win game three, it's a new series. Yeah, I to- and I think they totally will. I have full faith in them. All right, there you go. I agree with you on that one. At least yeah. I, that's the fan in me talking. Right. The, the analyst we'll in me says they're done. The heart, their nah. hearts and soul is just taken out. Oh. And I got to tell you, this guy there, um, uh, oh, uh, uh, the Sacramento Kings, Fox, yeah, he, he's played amazing. I mean, he has just been lights out. He has been clutch. He just mm-hmm. won this week the Cl- Mr. Clutch Award. Uh, it's a new yep. award the NBA hands out. He just won it for the first time this year, and he hey, has been amazing. So uh, he might just hit a couple critical threes there in the fourth quarter and seal the deal for Sacramento. Uh, stop. Stop All right. with it. Now hey, let's man, talk- ships sink from water getting inside, okay? Don't have that attitude. There you go. We're not we're not bringing down the ship. All right. We're, Golden State is going to win this week. Put That's your money right. on it. Bet. I have no idea what the line is. Uh, take the either. over. All right. Whatever that means. <laughs> Jalen Hurts got a new contract. My Apparently, man. right now, as you and I sit today, Jalen Hurts is the highest paid quarterback 
in the NFL. And good for Philadelphia. Good for locking that in, right? First time ever they had a no trade agreement. He's got five years. He's got $255 million guaranteed dollars. My man, good for him. That is that is insane. That Jalen Hurts is the highest paid player. Second round quarterback picked out of being a backup to Tua. Come on. Like go good for you. Like, look, we're good for like I, I'm not even angry anymore that the Eagles beat the Niners. Like, I'm not angry. Good for Jalen Hurts. Good now, for him and his now career. Some people will say, because here's a couple ways of let's talk about what this means for other people and, and the league. Yeah. And so he clearly is not the best quarterback in the league. I, I think that everyone will under will agree with that. Uh that person plays for everyone Can- outside of Philadelphia. Kansas City will Chiefs. agree to that. Uh Patrick yeah. Mahomes is the the best quarterback in the NFL. Well, look at his you know, ten year extension contract, four hundred and fifty million. Right. So yeah. at what point will will Patrick Mahomes be looking at his contract thinking, okay, now I'm the second, third, fourth, now I'm top 10? I mean, on year nine, he's I probably going to be the worst-paid quarterback in the NFL. So at what point well, do the Chiefs have to now redo that contract to make the best quarterback in the league the highest-paid quarterback in the league? Look, man, you got to account for inflation. Right, you gotta, you gotta. Patrick is a smart guy. He knows that four hundred and fifty million four years ago or three years ago when he signed it isn't, you know, gonna hold up against current inflation and whatnot and deals. I think Mahomes is smart to stick with. To stick with his deal, I don't know if they'll restructure it with Mahomes. He's not gonna go somewhere else, right? Mahomes isn't the type of quarterback. He he's a lot like Brady, right? He's not the type of quarterback to jump to teams to get more money, right? Brady historically took less money over his career, so that way they could pay more players. I think Mahomes is in a really good spot. He's a team player. He's a team leader. Um, unless there was a lot of change up for Kansas City, right? Andy Reid goes out. You lose a couple more of your wet. Kelsey goes out, right? Then I think Mahomes would look at jumping ship, but, you know. Yeah, I kind of put it about five years. I think about five years. What, maybe. If he ever gets to, like, the let's just say, out of the top third of the highest-paid quarterbacks, uh-huh. Definitely, if he gets around the 50% mark, the Chiefs need to redo his contract, just to be fair to him. We'll see, yeah. Um, but, all right, so let me give you some numbers here that I found interesting about this contract. Right, so, it's a $250 million contract for five mm-hmm. years. So, yep. let's average that out. That's how many dollars per year that's going to be against the cap? $50 million, 51 mil. Right? $51 million. All yep. right. Look at next year, Hertz salary cap numbers are this. For the next four years, $6.15 million. In 2023, 13.56 million in 2024, 21.77 million in 2025, and 31.77 million in 2026. For the next four years, none of those amounts even reach that 50 million average, which means in year five. I don't even have the math in my head. Let's just say there's no cap space. $150 million of the quarterback's contract yeah. is going to hit against their, their cap space. Or he'll get traded. <laughs> they're right? going to have to redo his contract. Restructure it, yeah. Right. And then just kind of yeah. keep pushing it out. At some point in time, he's going to have probably a $250 million hit against their cap space. So I guess that's the year they're going to start all rookies. I don't know. Uh, they're gonna probably. Just, at some point in time, you're going to have to pay the the – uh, the Piper, and it won't be right. the next four years, 
but in year five. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, why would teams do that? Well, now the next four years, they have cap space. To build. They can go get other players, right? Receivers, right. linemen, things like that, to try to win a Super Bowl. But at some point in time, it's all going to come to fruition. You're going to have to pay yeah. the bill at some point in time. Everything comes due. All Everything right. comes due. You got, yeah. Ain't nobody escapes salary caps and death. You know, you're going to die and you're going to hit your salary cap max. That's what you're looking like, Philadelphia. And if they were to win a Super Bowl some point in time in the middle of that, then you know what? Well it worth all, it. It was all worth it. Well, Unfortunately, they will not because, uh, well, let's, let's face it here. You got the, um, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs still are going to have to be reckoned with. All right, so who are the top five uh, paid quarterbacks now in the NFL? I don't even know that, but I do know that um, Jalen Hurts. Okay, number one. Um, why I can't think of number two right now, but number three is Russell Wilson. Number four is Aaron Rodgers, and I can't think of number five. Well, Mahomes number must be number, number two, and I would bet that Mahomes, yeah, Dallas's guy. Um, uh, is in there Prescott. number five. So. No, not Dak. Um, yeah, Dak Prescott. It would not surprise me. And then you also have yeah. Deshaun Watson out there. And so Ooh, these are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think his is stretched out longer. So it isn't like 40 million a year like some of these other guys. I, one last take on this, and then we can be done for the day. I'll let you go. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this does mean that a contract will be done by the Ravens and. Yep. Lamar Jackson, because now that you have another quarterback who is very similar yep. to Lamar Jackson, right? I mean, they're, they're both kind of the athletic run first kind of quarterback who also can throw yep. the ball really well, both relatively young, you know, Jalen hurts is very similar to Lamar Jackson. Now who has accomplished more in their career so far? Well, Lamar Jackson won an MVP, but you have, you know, Jalen hurts made it to the Super Bowl. So which one? You know, the, the my point here is you have a comparator now. So I would think you do. the Ravens should go to Lamar Jackson today. Say, hey, Lamar, we'll give you these numbers right here. Jalen Hurst just signed for it. Let's sign you to these numbers. We'll stop this negotiating. Let's be done. Come back into the fold. And I think both right. sides should be happy with that. Right. I think if Lamar can argue 160 mil guaranteed, which I don't think is out of the question for a five-year contract for Lamar. Yeah. Then go with it. Right. Or have mom negotiate for you. Whatever you're going to do, Lamar. There you go. All you right. do you. Well, have a great week, and we'll see you next week. And who knows what will happen in the world law over this oh next gosh. week. We have already the, the settlement here with, with Fox News we can talk about oh next gosh. week. We have the shootings now, the stand-your-ground oh. kind of lawsuits or you know, criminal matters going on. Yeah. All, all, all this unpacked next week. So have a great, great week, and we'll talk to you next week. See you, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a complete and utter mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for our marketing efforts. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Tri. Plus City Marketing for our technical and computer support.